Are you ready? Ready to take a ride? Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. Because the show is about to begin. From the front lines of America Babylon and transmitting worldwide on the internet and satellite, you are listening to Omega Man Radio Network with Shannon Davis. Thank you for standing by. How are you doing? <laughs> Boy, I've been listening to it because, you know, his he has some of the same ideas about crypto that I do. And I know it's, you. You know, he's doing it very technically based. I don't know that he uses the same algorithms I use. Well, I know you would enjoy a fellow crypto enthusiast. We haven't talked about crypto in a very long time. Uh, thank you for standing by and um, folks we are excited to be here tonight doing another marathon and welcome back Professor Tom Mack Brother Tom you want to open us up in prayer yes Heavenly Father in the name of Yahushua HaMashiach we come before you right now we ask that you would guide this program give it your blessing Make sure that the words I say are what you say and what you want. And we just thank you in Yahushua's name for making this time available. We know the times are are rough, but we can make it through. We just thank you. Amen. I say amen. And uh, folks, welcome back. Professor Tom, you got all the time you want. but I wanted to ask you before you get started, is there a PowerPoint you would like people to follow along with? Yes, I just uploaded it on Mixler. Okay. Let's see. It's yeah. right there in the chat room then. Uh, I see it. Okay, folks, scroll down. You're going to see a PDF and a PowerPoint if you'd like to follow and along. And if you want to take your... If you want to take your... I'll do a share screen and we can... We can let people see it. Well, I'll tell you, I don't have video capability anymore. I'm only doing audio. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm no longer using StreamYard. And the reason yeah. for that is we're not on YouTube anymore. Uh, after being thrown in jail some weeks back, some months back, I said six channels it. I'm done. So, 
Um, censorship uh, has not improved on YouTube, and Facebook, of course, has been censoring me lately, so I, I killed that account too. I still have an account on Facebook, but I went over to Substack, and um, I went back to podcasting only. So we're on a whole new uh, platform. Uh, some of you already know, others that don't. We're on Podbean exclusively now. And mm-hmm. for archive streaming live on MixLR, and no video at this present time. Although, if I can find a platform that will not censor me, we may bring that back. But right now, I'm just going back to the roots, which is audio. So heads up, we've had a lot of changes in recent weeks. And yeah. all that you can find at OmegaManRadio.com. And of course, the most evident change is um, we're doing daytimes now instead of evenings. But uh, do you do do you have a, a video platform um, that people can go to to catch any of your stuff? Are you well, on YouTube? Basically, I've been putting putting my little clips on TikTok. Okay. Oh, great TikTok. Yes, I love and- TikTok. And Facebook doesn't seem to like them, so I haven't put them up there. I get them up on YouTube, though once in a while, YouTube has a problem. I love TikTok, yeah. though. You know, that's the probably the biggest uh, viewership out there, I, I think, uh, that there is right now. And, um, hey, let's use them while we can. And it's been interesting. I put up a... I made a video from the movie The Day of the Jackal, the opening scene where they try to kill De Gaulle. Oh. And I got that got that up there, you know, clipped out a couple of things that were unnecessary. And it went up there and I've gotten some rather good responses from it. Oh, great. What is your TikTok channel? How do they find it? It's just Tom Max six oh nine. Okay. Gail was asking in the chat room, Tom Mack, 609. And what is your official website? Whitestonefoundation.org. We're going through getting it worked up to speed and getting it a little more, how would you call it, more modern. And so I've been working on that. That takes a lot of time anymore because now they want to stuff everything into a website. Otherwise, Google doesn't rate you very well. Speaking, and that's sort of an unfortunate thing. Speaking of indexing of articles, um, what's fascinating to me is a Substack, which is where a lot of people are going to post yes. blogs. That has an excellent indexing system. It's amazing. Um, if you haven't already tried it, try it and compare that with what you're doing. As long as it holds together, you put something up there and bam, bam. Um, and you know the other thing is uh, the distribution uh, they'll send a blast out to everybody on the list so they handle mm-hmm. email blast and uh, deep indexing anyway I, I'm, I'm pleased with that that's where we're going instead of Facebook okay with that um, we're going to get started uh, brother Mac the mic is yours okay well you know we the last guy talked about finance a little bit at the end well I'm going to take that a little further but of course we have to put the disclaimers in here we got to put a fair use notice got to put a disclaimer in there that this is not financial advice you want financial advice you need to 
talk to your financial advisor. I don't know who that would be, but somebody competent. And then a con- the little disclaimer I put up called conspiracy against rights. Basically says if you try to try to impede my rights, I will I will prosecute. And then the proverb I just it came to me just a little bit ago. Proverbs twenty eight eleven. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. That's interesting. Don't hear that one in the pulpit very often. But right now we got a lot of rich men that are wise in their own conceit. It takes us to to have understanding about them so that our Heavenly Father could show us how to deal with them. But now for a little bit of review. We've been talking about the banking system, its collapse. Because one of the things these guys try to play, make technical plays, but there is one problem with these guys, is that if you create too much of any one thing, inflation will chew it away, and there will be nothing left. That's why... Joe Biden is working furiously to come up with a central bank digital currency. But the trouble is, you can't do these things quickly. These things to be, need to be tested, tested, and retested. And these guys are not going to have the time to do that. We've gotten this idea we can push a button and get what we want. Well, that doesn't always work. And the biggest thing that could very well crash this whole central bank of currencies is that what if somebody gets in there and hacks it? These guys are very adept. And especially in the West, we have this idea that we can be so arrogant but we keep forgetting that there's somebody on the other, on the east side, that is very adept at hacking. And they can take this system down anytime they want. Russia has the best economists in the world. In fact, their problem right now is they're trying to keep their currency from getting too strong so that their goods and services aren't overpriced in the market. That's a real nice problem to have, that your currency is too strong. But Russia is going to play into this, and it's going to play into it in some ways that we're not thinking about. Let's Let's head off to Daniel 7.24. We've read this the last couple of weeks. We're going to see it again. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And another shall rise after them. 
and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. We'll deal with that in a minute. Revelation 17.3 So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. We're not defined as to what that beast might be, but it's definitely not something pleasant. And then Revelation 17, 12, and 13, and the ten horns which thou sawest are heads are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. So basically, as kings by themselves, they have little or no power. But if they're willing to give up that power and give it to this beast then it's a different story. And that's what they're working out right now. Remember, when Daniel wrote his prophecies and when John Mark wrote theirs, wrote Revelation, the, none of these royal families existed. The other king that could arise after them could be the House of Romanov or Russia. Believe me, they have lots of scores to settle with the European families. And now that they've started making deals with China, China has their own plenty of scores to settle with the royal families. In fact, China would love to deal with Great Britain once and for all. After the Opium Wars and the Boxer Rebellion, they would love nothing better than to settle this once and for all. And for those of you who've downloaded the, the PowerPoints, I've got a couple of videos for you to watch. I wish... And I'm not going to run them here because we're already running late anyway. But the one thing to remember is the kings aren't the top of this chain. We have the 13 Illuminati families. I've listed them all. And for those that haven't downloaded the PowerPoint, I'll give them. The Astors, the Bundys, the Collinses. I knew one Collins family member. And that guy, I will say this much about him. Whatever woman he wanted, even if she was half his age, he had. He would go into a gambling casino and he would clean it out for $10,000. And nobody ever really said anything to him. But he always knew when to stop. We have the DuPonts. And the DuPont family is very interesting. We have the Freemans. We have the Kennedys. It's interesting the Kennedys get worked into this, but, and you wonder 
There's a lot of things I like about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. But I worry because they're part of these bloodlines. The Lee bloodline out of China, they run most of Asia. The Onassis bloodline does most of the shipping in the world. And then we have the Rockefellers. And they're banking in oil. The Russells. Some people might remember that Charles Taze Russell was the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses. They had connections to the Mormons. They've got connections to about every every Christian cult. The Van Dynes, Diamonds. The Merovingians we'll talk about in a minute. And then finally, the most powerful of all the 13 is the Rothschild bloodline. And they still control the banking in the world. Or they like to think they do. They don't understand that money, for it to have value, needs to represent some kind of economic value. Like your car has a representative value. You can go take it to a car dealership and in theory they would be able to give you money for that car. And it can be just about anything like the man in the last program was saying. You you raise a certain fruit like a tomato or a tomato and you can take that to the market and sell it for a certain amount of money. But the problem with, with fiat currency is if, it, if you have too much of it, it takes more of that currency to buy that same tomato. And that's what we're suffering through right now is we've got too much currency out there and not enough value for it to buy. So it takes more of the currency to buy the same product. But let's look at these seven royal families. I'm going to deal with it more next week. But we'll just run over some things. The seven royal families come out of the tribe of Judah. They, they realize that they're going to have legitimate their legitimacy to rule over Israel, they need to be from the tribe of Judah, just as Jacob said in Genesis 49. Well, out of the tribe of Judah, after the Roman Empire collapsed, a group of kings called the Merovingians ruled in the Dark Ages. They're interesting characters because They had long hair, and they believed that their power came from their long hair. And they would rule for about about 400 years. Then the Carolingians took over. The most famous Carolingian king was Charlemagne. And he would set up 
the new Roman Empire or the Second Reich. We'll talk about that in a minute. And from the Carolingian kings, we get the European kings. We'll deal with them here momentarily. We have here the five royal families that actually have some kind of a rule over over Europe. Number one in that list is the House of Vet, which rules Belgium right now. And you might remember Prince... I can't think of that Belgian prince's name right off, but he got in a lot of trouble for fake or for messing around with defense contracts. But they rule Belgium. Notice that the big one of the biggest computer systems in the world is in Brussels, Belgium. And when the and when they the European community meets, they meet in Brussels. Why Brussels? Belgium's a little country. It's sort of a, how would you call it, a cough from France. They speak French in Belgium. And twice it's been invaded, World War One and World War Two. The country was invaded. Yet here it is. It's still the pinnacle from which all the other European nations stand. But no, everybody's, everybody is looking at the Windsor family, which is actually the Saxe Coburg Gotha family. But they sort of had to change their surname to Windsor because they came from Germany. Saxe-Coburg is a province of Germany to this day. And nobody... And in World War I, they started wondering, just what side is our royal family really on? We also have to realize that they're cadets of the Vatten line, which comes out of Belgium. So it's interesting, they're lower ranked than the House of Vet. Number three on that list, well, three and four could be flipped around rather easily. The House of Bernadotte, which rules Sweden. The House of Orange, which rules the Netherlands. But they also ruled in England for a while after the glorious revolution of 1688. And if you want an interesting little project, go look at their founding documents, compare them to our own Declaration of Independence and Constitution. I think our father, founding fathers did a little bit of plagiarism. Nothing wrong with it because what they came up with after this glorious revolution was, was incredible. And then the last house that's still active in Europe is the House of Oldenburg-Glucksburg. And they rule Denmark and Norway at this point in time. 
I know some of you are saying, what about Finland? Well, Finland ditched their their royal family in 1919. And they were going to get another one, but unfortunately that king came from the house of Hesse, which is in the middle of Germany. Not something you want to do in the middle of World War One or afterward. So they have gone without a king. And yes, I know it was mentioned a little while back, but people sort of mock the idea. Kings are something you have back in the old days. But we also have to remember that Finland was part of Sweden for a long time. And when it wasn't part of Sweden, it was part of Russia. And they sort of parlayed it back and forth in their very borders. So we've got five kings here that are active. Now we got to figure out which, where the other three are. And I have five candidates. The first one is the House of Hohenzollern. The last two German Kaisers are from this house. And there has been some talk of resurrecting the Kaiser. And that's number one on my list. Number two is the House of Habsburg in Austria. Number three on that list, the House of Bourbon. And I put a slash in there because I realized Bonaparte fits into it as well because Napoleon did sort of marry into the Bourbon line. Number four on that list is the House of Cronenberg. I wouldn't have even considered these guys, except suddenly this name winds up on TV shows. And why would they keep doing it? TV has a tendency to predict events. And then the fifth house that I put in here, and there may be more, the House of Wittelsbach in northern Germany. They still have a lot to say about how things are run. And, but now let's go back to banking. That's what we're going to spend the rest of our time with. And basically, you know, we, we studied in the past that the United States banking system was pretty much a mess from its inception through the first federal bank, the second federal bank, even down to the time of Lincoln when he, pre- when he printed greenbacks. Because money was issued by banks for the most part, which is great till the bank goes broke and suddenly the money you have isn't worth anything. Then in 1913... In the middle of the night, right before Christmas, we got the Federal Reserve System. The bill was passed on December 22nd, which is a very, very interesting time to pass legislation. Because back in 1913, most legislators were on trains going home to their districts. 
So only a handful of people ever really voted on this. And so for the first time we have government-issued securities. And suddenly bad situations got a lot worse. Because they thought that, well, if we have a government agency, we can control interest rates. We'll talk about that in a time, a little bit of time. But the first thing to understand is that the banks started getting bigger and bigger and more powerful. But they had one great limitation. And that was they could not go past their state boundary. City National Bank, for example, which is a forerunner of Citibank, they could not they could not loan money to somebody in Pennsylvania. They could not do any business outside the state of New York. And so you had forty eight and then later fifty situations where banks could not cross their state borders. That sort of slows things down. Then to make things even worse, in World War II, we caught the Union Bank Corporation founded by Prescott Bush. Bush, where do we get that name? I guess, yeah, we had a CIA director who later became president, or vice president, then president. That was his father. And he was grandfather to George W. Bush. And what was wrong with Union Banking Corporation? Well, turned out the bank was actually owned by Bank Vorhandel and Shepvart. And it's they were out of the Netherlands. But this bank had a considerable amount of investment in United Steelworks in Nazi Germany. So a lot of Union Banking Corporation's money was going through this Dutch bank and winding up in Nazi Germany. So they were actually funding our enemies. That's why we had the Trading with the Enemy Act. And they had to close down Union Banking for the duration of the war. You might say, United Steelworks, whatever happened to them? Well, they were owned by the Thyssen brothers, which is sort of like the Koch brothers in this country. Only they did their thing in steel. But after the war in the 1990s, United Steelworks merged with Krupp Steel. They became the world's largest steel company. You're going, wait a minute. Germany is this country that got decimated by World War II. How do they suddenly have the largest steel corporation in the world? Real good question. We'll get that answer in a couple of weeks. They called their new company Bryson Krupp AG. And they're now a huge conglomerate. And if you look at the picture in the background, that's a Thyssen Krupp truck. And I personally photographed that in Trinidad last year. Well, after I showed this to a, a couple of weeks ago 
some people started asking me, what is a, what is a German steel corporation's truck doing in Trinidad, Colorado? Well, I started checking around. Sure enough, it seems that one of their businesses is creating elevators. So the old Otis Elevator Corporation doesn't own all the elevators. So it turned out they were there to repair an elevator in the administrative offices of the city of Trinidad. So pretty legitimate, but I do find it interesting how much these foreign concerns have embedded themselves in the United States. Now you're saying, how did they get that way? The next slide, slide 15, gives you that answer. The man in the picture is Dr. Otto Scheid. He was an architect in Nazi Germany. And in 1944, he, he convened a meeting. All the top SS people, with the exception of Heinrich Himmler, were there. Every industrialist in Germany was there. Everybody with any type of a sizable business was there. Several hundred people showed up at this meeting at the Hotel Maison Rouge in Strasbourg, France. Didn't matter to them that a hundred miles to the west was Allied troops, but they're going to have their meeting. And the guys guarding that meeting were the highest trained SS men in the world. And basically their orders were to shoot first, ask questions later. Well, one of the people undoubtedly at that meeting was Klaus Schwab's father. He was he was the general manager of Escher Weiss, a big engineering company. Gee. So that's where Klaus Schwab got his money. But without this convention, Escher Weiss doesn't survive the war. And what were they famous for? They developed the turbines that created heavy water for the Nazis' nuclear program. The very heavy water that created the atomic bombs we dropped on Japan. And that's what Claus did until 19... 1969 when he sold it to another corporation, Salser AG, which is another massive conglomerate that's all over the world. So Claus does very well, and that's why he can do his things with the World Economic Forum. He's got his income taken care of rather nicely. And so what happens? Most European countries were saddled with debt from the war. And the United States decided, well, let's help them out a little bit. 
you know, the best way to buy loyalty is to give them a program. And that program was the Marshall Plan. Of course, they sold it to the American people. Well, if we don't do it, the Russians will. Not really true, but that's how it was sold. This way, the United States had a reason to occupy West Germany until 1991. Of course, in 1991, the Berlin Wall was taken down. So after Germany was reunited... The U.S. and Germany wrote a new agreement. And so guess what? We have Army and Air Force bases in Germany still. But the Luftwaffe has bases in the United States. I learned that from Al Cuppet. And I was shocked when I went to O'Hare Airport in Chicago to pick up my nephew. And there was an exit for a Luftwaffe base. I would have liked to have taken a picture of that sign, but it was on a very busy interstate. And unfortunately, when you're on busy interstates, you can't stop without getting killed. But I found out that the Luftwaffe has several bases in the United States, including a big contingent at Fort Bliss, Texas, over by El Paso. Now that I think about it, that's where Werner Ron Brown first did his work. Isn't that interesting? But the royal families after World War II it was a disaster. Let's take the British Empire. The sun finally set over the British Empire after three centuries. Singapore was given its independence. All their Middle Eastern holdings were given their independence. We know about Israel in 1948, but Egypt also departed from British management, and so did much of, much of the rest of the Middle East. And then the, but the biggest one to be, be given independence was India and we remember it because King George sent his brother Lord Mountbatten over there to come up with a way to turn to turn India into a country but to keep British interests in that country you know, we don't mind if you have political independence, but we're still going to control your money and we're going to control your commerce. That was what Lord Mountbatten was supposed to do. They call him the last viceroy. Well, it didn't work out for Mountbatten. And he would finish that job. Indian... Pakistan would break up, which they didn't intend. And then Mountbatten would go back to England, go decide he was going to go fishing in Ireland, and the Irish Republican Army shot him to pieces. Great Britain also 
had plenty of holdings in Africa, most notably Nigeria, where they had much of their oil coming out of it. Well, Nigeria is now an independent country, went through a couple of civil, brutal civil wars, and several other countries. In fact, all of Africa is now free from European rule. That is politically. And until recently, the Bank of England still controlled most of these countries. But you know what? BRICS is changing that. We may have to talk about BRICS in a few weeks. Because they're changing everything as it comes to banking. But let's go through. The Roth families, even though they lost a lot of influence, they still have all their business holdings and trusts that hold substantial shares in Royal Dutch Shell and British Petroleum. They got lots of other investments as well. But after the war, the British economy found themselves following the U.S. economy, something they didn't like. They also found, realized that the, the British pound was no longer going to be the world's medium of exchange. And it started to lose it at the end of World War One, But by 1944, all the countries got together at a place called Bretton Woods. In, I think it's in Vermont. And at this agreement, they agreed that the U.S. dollar would be the primary world currency. Brits weren't happy about it, but, well... Sometimes we don't get what we want. But again, the biggest obstacle, let's get back to this now. The biggest obstacle for the Rockefeller family in controlling the banking system was they did not allow for interstate banking. The National Bank Act of 1863 forbid interstate banking. And then to make things worse, the McFadden Act of 1927 reinforced that and sort of tied up a few little loose ends. Basically stating that a bank in New York could not own a bank in New Jersey and vice versa. And so, how did the system work out? You have federal banks and state banks. Or you have national banks and state and state banks. The Federal Reserve controlled the nationally chartered banks, and state banks are owned by the state banking authorities, or are chartered by them. Actually, all the banks have owners that own stock in the bank, but as a rule, the only the national banks were required to have shares in the Federal Reserve. Every time I went to a state bank and audited them, I would notice that they never had any shares in the Federal Reserve. And when I'd ask them about it, they'd say they don't want anything to do with that Federal Reserve. That if they start dealing with them, they'll run them out of business. And that's been the case. 
So how does the system work? If you're a little state chartered bank and a customer comes in and wants funding for a, a large loan, the, the small bank isn't going to be able to do your loan, but they'd still like a part of it and they'd still like the right to manage that loan. So what happened is you started to see a system of correspondent banks arise, which is larger banks in nearby cities. And basically what they would do is they would package that loan up and they would take it to the correspondent bank. And they would review the loan and either reject it or... Sometimes they just finance it themselves. Does it look like a pretty good loan to them? They're going to make a lot of money off of it. Actually, it happened about 50% of the time that the correspondent bank actually did the loan, even though the small bank would still be the ones that managed it. Or if the loan was too big even for the correspondent bank, they'd farm the offer out to other banks in the regions and they'd all take a, a piece of that loan. And But the interesting thing about banking in the old days was it was decentralized. And the management and board of directors of the local bank made the decisions. And the correspondent bank sort of became the backup bank for all the small banks. For example, just give you one, years and years ago when we had the Midnight Herald, we used to have these people that would send us Australian dollars. And so I would have to take them over to the bank. The first time I said, well, we don't know what to do with this. And I said, well, take it to your correspondent bank. Maybe they'll be able to do something with it. Well, about a week later, I saw some money wander into our account. I guess they sent us a letter and said, we put this much in your account. Well, I call them and ask, how did that happen? And they said, oh, it's from that foreign exchange transfer you did. They were able to convert it back into Australian dollars. And we just put the money in, in the bank after taking out our fee for doing the work. But also as correspondent banks that did most of the wire transfers. If you needed money moved across the country and you needed it done quickly, they would call the correspondent bank and they would have the job done in maybe 20, 30 minutes. And also, if they get loans in, they'll also do financial analysis for the, for the small banks because they have a bigger staff and they can do more work. And then sometimes, especially in the 80s, they started to offer brokerage services through an affiliated investment bank. The customer would still have to have an account with the affiliated investment bank 
but they could still make all the or they could order all their transactions through their local bank. And so there were a lot of little services that the correspondent banks could offer small banks. So you I draw up a little chart here on page twenty-three to show how a small bank and I use Iowa as an example because that's where I where I worked for the Iowa Department of Revenue and I was a bank auditor for a time. But I would deal with mostly the local banks. And many times they would have a very good relationship with their correspondent bank. And I picked the name of a bank that no longer exists, but it was a very common bank. They called themselves Merchants National Bank because they dealt mainly with merchants. And But Merchants National was a correspondent bank for just about every Eastern Iowa bank in Iowa. And so they would do all these different services. But if the if the project turned out to be too big for Merchants National, they would go to Norwest and Des Moines, Bankers Trust in Des Moines. Or in this case, they could cross state lines since it was a bank-to-bank transfer. They would go to First National Bank of Omaha. I used to have a friend who did a lot of, or worked for First National Bank of Omaha. I went to grad school with him. And this was a lot of the work he did. So the Rockefeller family realized that if they were going to get control of the U.S. banking system, they had to get rid of interstate banking. But it wasn't going to be something that would happen. They did get the Bank Holding Company Act of 1956 approved, which allowed interstate banking, but only if a state approved it. And and an amendment in that act called the Douglas Amendment required specific state legislative approval. And of course, what happened after 56? No state followed through with an approval, and I can understand why. You don't want some big state coming in and draining your state. So they said no. But give Iowa credit. They said, well, well, there was one situation where an out-of-state holding company did own one bank in Iowa. It was a little bank in eastern Iowa. I can't remember the name of it anymore. But it it allowed an out-of-state holding company to own that bank only if there was an existing business relationship prior to 1956. That meant that one little bank could be controlled by a company outside of Iowa, but nobody else could. And you wouldn't see any change based upon this act until 1982 
when Connecticut and Massachusetts decided to allow regional holding companies to buy in-state banks. So basically, a bank from Iowa could not buy a bank in Massachusetts, but a bank in Maine could because they were in a regional area. And I would gather regional is defined by Federal Reserve regions. The Federal Reserve has 12 bank regions. And then they create the 12 governors that govern the Federal Reserve Bank. But when the Rockefellers tried to tried to buy some local banks, well, they also found that Union Trust, owned by the Bush family, also wanted to buy a couple banks in that region. And, well, it turned into a Supreme Court case. And, interestingly, Chief Justice Rehnquist He basically said, no, you can't do it based on the current law. So, because Chief Justice Rehnquist is a very conservative Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and he was not going to create law. He was only going to interpret it, which is what judges should do. And that's why Nixon nominated to him to the him to the court in the first place, and why President Reagan renominated him as Chief Justice. And because he had that track record, even the most liberal of con- members of Congress had to support him. So when the Supreme Court didn't give the Rockefellers what they wanted. They had to start lobbying Congress, and it was a slow process. Wouldn't get done until 1994, when the Regal Neal Interstate Banking and Branching Efficiency Act was passed. We'd find out that President Clinton would do two very bad things for banking. One, he allowed interstate banking. Of course, he was a Rockefeller, so why not? And two, he repealed the Glass-Steagall Act, which said that that consumer banks could invest in stocks like investment banks, and that investment banks could suddenly start offering consumer services, which is made for a big mess. Because by 2007 and 2008, We had had a big banking crisis thanks to the collapse of the mortgage market. Because when interest rates go up, values of goods and services go down. And so suddenly all these houses, well, I'll just buy it, pay the mortgage, and 10 years I'll sell it and get my money back. Well, that didn't happen. And we're about to see the same situation with with office office buildings. 
because we've been jacking up interest rates way too quickly. And so what happens with all this? Bear Stearns, which bought all these mortgage-backed securities, went just literally went broke. And J.P. Morgan Chase purchased them for pennies on the dollar. Bank of America purchased Merrill Lynch. They also purchased Countrywide Financial. Big, big mortgage company. Some of you may have had your mortgages with Countrywide Financial at one time. And maybe the biggest news that nobody ever paid attention to is American Express, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley quit being investment banks, but they became bank holding companies, meaning they could enter the consumer market. And boy, they have. But the one that most people remember is Lehman Brothers had to file for bankruptcy because they got stuck with a whole bunch of paper that turned out to be worthless. Can't have that. So now we have a list of banks here on page 29. J.P. Morgan Chase, Citibank, Bank of America, Bank of New York Mellon, Goldman Sachs, U.S. Bank, and Wells Fargo and Company. These banks are now too big to fail. And they can't be allowed to fail because it would take down the entire U.S. economy. We've put ourselves into a mess. And I'm going to show you how here in a second as we finish here. I'm seeing that we've sort of run our time here. So I'll... When it comes to interest rates, the thing to remember is that the Federal Reserve has a committee called the Open Market Committee that is, it uses interest rates to manage the international economy. Basically, when they see that the economy is revving up too much, they put the interest rates up to control it. And if... The interest rates are, or if the economy's not doing very well, they'll lower interest rates to try to generate a better economy. And that picture of that guy smoking a cigar, his name is Paul Volcker. And it's a picture of him testifying before Congress in 1981. And... He was very famous for smoking that cigar while testifying. It was almost like he treated them with contempt, which he well could, because he knew he was much more powerful than they were. And he could do practically what he wanted. So you see here, when the economy is doing well, interest rates are raised to control monetary inflation. And when the economy is in recession, interest rates are lowered to stimulate the national economy. That's the theory. Sadly, the reality is something a lot different. And so I put up a little chart here of how interest rates 
have risen and declined. If you look there in 1980, you see that man smoking the cigar. He had the interest rates over 20% at one point in time. How much are you going to get done if you got to pay 20% interest on your loans? You're probably not going to go buy a car. You're definitely not going to buy a house. Because all you'll be doing is paying the bank interest. You won't be getting much house. But it did get inflation curbed. So that by, na- by 1982, 83, interest was down to 8%. Suddenly, people were investing in the stock market again, and the stock market boomed. But instead of keeping the interest rates steady, the politicians got more interested in dropping those dropping those interest rates so that we'd have a bigger boom economy because people in a boom economy tend to vote for the incumbent if things are terrible like they were in 1980 what happened to Jimmy Carter he was voted out that's even with Jimmy Carter coming from Shannon State I don't know what Shannon thought of him as a governor, but we'll find out. But now to get a little more mini, I show you one. You'll see from 2020 to 2022, they, Biden had, and Trump for that matter, had interest rates way too low. And I did I don't even think Trump agreed with that, but he wasn't going to say anything. But they pushed it way too low, got too much money out into the economy. And what have they had to do since 2021? They've had to raise interest rates. And they're getting ready to raise them again. And when you raise interest rates too quickly, you contract the economy. And we're starting to see the stock market drop because of that. Suddenly, gold is getting a little more interesting. And like your gentleman said on the last program, Bitcoin has got to find a way to divorce itself from the dollar. And I think they will do that. But Trump's financial policy was that he was going to, he wanted interest rates to be raised slowly to control inflation and to reduce financial risks in the marketplace. Because a reasonable interest rate discourages risky investment. Because If you have to pay a goodly amount of interest, you're not going to roll the dice on something crazy. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. 
And as I said, when the Federal Reserve in 2018, they decided interest or that inflation was controlled. So interest rates were lowered, which that's not a reason to, to lower interest rates is just because inflation is controlled because it can get out of control very fast. And then in 2020, with the panic, the Federal Reserve just automatically lowered interest rates to zero. Stupidest thing they could have ever done. And so suddenly all the venture capital companies start investing in business startups they wouldn't normally consider. And even Silicon Valley Bank started loaning money to these woke startups. And the stories have come out about some of the craziest, some of the craziest investments that they made. But their biggest trouble was by loaning out all this money their deposits increased 50%. Now, when they increase their deposits 50%, they have to invest that some way so that they can pay interest to their depositors. Because a lot of these are business accounts. Well, there was an unfortunate problem. When interest rates go up, which they did during that period of time, the value of your treasury securities drop. And so your asset value drops. And as I said, during 2019 to 2021, the bank got $6 billion in new deposits. So they, they had to invest that. So what did they do? They got 10-year treasury bonds at an interest rate of 1.68%. Well, sounds good, but you have to remember, all business accounts are paid interest equivalent to the bank prime rate set by the Federal Reserve. So if the prime rate goes up above 1%, then these guys are losing money on the interest end and also the value of their security is dropping. But, as I said, a lot of investment managers considered investing in treasury bonds to be very sound. But, at that low an interest rate, I don't think so. Not unless you're willing to do a little risk management and buy some kind of security that would protect you if interest rates go up. That's what Silicon Bank didn't do. So now our interest rates about 5% now. And, you know, bank management wasn't going to really be concerned about it because they wanted to hold those bonds until they matured 10 years. But unfortunately... Two things. Financial statements now 
if you have investments, you got to use a method called mark-to-market, which shows unrealized losses on those treasury bonds and other low-interest investments. And when you show that loss, it goes on your balance sheet. Suddenly, investors get nervous. And I just have to wonder, and I just put this comment here because I, I do wonder, did the management understand this rule? The other thing that's very interesting is the bank didn't have a risk manager for most of the time in question. And that's something that I can't believe the Federal Reserve did deal with them about. Because as I say, they carry hedges to protect themselves against these risks to their portfolio. But not these guys. They were so woke they didn't need to. Instead, they just they just went on ski vacations. And Moody's Financial Service was the first to discover this. Moody's is one of the big interest rate people, and they've had to be a lot more careful after 2008 when they rated all these mortgage-backed securities, AAA rated, when they were actually junk. So now they're being more careful, and they're starting to downgrade the bank's credit rating. Next thing you know, you have a bank run. And I show a picture in the background of a bank run. But you see, in in our time, bank runs don't happen with some guy knocking on the door, I want my money. They do it on their computer. I do most of my financial transactions via my computer these days, and so does everybody else. So if you want to take money out of one bank and put it in another, you can do it in a matter of seconds. And so suddenly, the bank's caught. You can't just close the doors. So the mouse-click mouse movements of money caused the bank run. And next thing you know, they don't have enough cash to pay their depositors. And so they ended up having to close the bank. And then they used it to close Signature Bank, which, which I really don't agree with. And I'm going to leave my little accounting example out for today. And I think this is a good place to stop. Next week, it's seven royal families. And I've put in here my email address. Give that out, Tom. Uh, because okay, it's tom.mac okay. at whitestonefoundation.org. Websites are biblecodes.co and whitestonefoundation.org. Because we're uh, only audio, so they won't be able to see that. Um, right. Except in the PowerPoint, you may have it in there. Um, yeah, I show, do. What do we title the broadcast for today? This is the banking, the twenty twenty, the twenty twenty three banking crisis, part three. 
Okay, 2023, Banking Crisis. Part 3. Part 3. You asked a question earlier uh, with regards to my opinion on some political figure. Who was that you were asking about? Jimmy Carter, your governor. Oh. Well, yeah. I, he, he's the, the peanut farmer from Georgia. Of course, I was born in Georgia. I remember when That's he was in I'm office. Um, 76 to 80, I think it was. And um, I remember um, he sucked. Do you remember every day having to watch the, the daily news and all they were talking about was the, uh, the, the Iran? Well, what was Yes. Hostage crises? The hostage crisis. That went on for like 400 days. I forget how many days. Every day, same thing, man. It was so monotonous and boring. And then, of course, Reagan cut a deal and got him out. I think the October surprise. Um, I don't like Jimmy Carter. In fact, um, uh, it's alleged that he was probably um, heavily, uh, he was Masonic. And he talked oh, about... Oh, yeah. We being, know that. He said he was thrice born. There we go. That's exactly what I'm talking about, thrice born. I don't like the guy. Not at all. I mean, of course, you know, for, for a while you say, oh, we got our own, we got Georgia president there, but I don't remember him as governor. Um, I wasn't watching politics at that point. I was born in 69, so... Um, but I do remember him as What president. did your parents think? I don't remember them talking about it. Um, too much to tell you the truth. I think initially everybody was happy he became president, but I mean, you know, look at what did he do that was good? He oversaw the. Um, wasn't that when we had the gas crises too? The long lines of the gas pumps? No, that was 73 with Nixon. Oh, that was that was prior to him. I was thinking that we still had some problems with the gas. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I look back and there's nothing I can really think about that he did. That I well, I think remarkable. sometimes my my difficulty is my parents did talk about politics, my dad especially, and mm. well, part of it is because he was in politics, but okay, and so, like for instance, in my family, you never said anything against President Eisenhower. Oh, but you know, on my website, I have a speech of Eisenhower's on there. The very famous speech before he left office about the military-industrial complex. He was deathly afraid of it. Oh yeah, and rightfully so. Right. My memory goes back to I think probably uh, Gerald Ford, his mm, last okay. year or two, and then I remember when I was riding the school bus. I don't know what what age I was, maybe uh, first or second grade. I remember um, Jimmy Carter coming in to play. That was back during uh, Steve Austin, the uh, $6 million man. $6 million man. Yeah, I had his lunchbox. Um, oh, my. But looking back, um, I think the uh, greatest president we had was maybe Ronald Reagan. Sure was a different time, at least back then. Not that he was perfect. Of course, I think all these guys are compromised. Um, well, the thing with the Reagan administration, I was just a young auditor at the time when he came in. In fact, I remember going into the booth, and, the voting booth in Des Moines, Iowa, and clicking, flipping all the levers. 
and then just saying to myself after I turn the big lever to register my vote I remember saying to myself boy I hope Reagan wins but I don't think it's going to happen I went to work that day and we were all talking about because most of us voted before we went to work just got up early and voted we were all saying the same thing boy we sure wish Reagan wins but we don't think he will well that night Reagan won by a huge landslide and Carter was out Reagan was in and that first four years he did some very good things lower taxes in fact his tax cuts 10% each year did a lot for the US economy and suddenly the stock market boomed as a result right and things were going great till 84 he ran again beat Walter Bondale Minnesota yes but then something started to happen because he was a lame duck he couldn't run again and they wanted to make Bush look good so he could get in so suddenly we watched we watched a different Reagan administration take over totally unlike the first one yeah that's when um Oliver North and the Iran-Contra stuff started to happen probably, right? It was actually starting about 85. They started working up this deal. The CIA came in there and since Bush was in bed with the CIA, he was an agent in the 60s and he was director of the organization in the 70s. Yep, I remember so, that. I remember the history that is uh, reading that uh, Bush was director of the CIA in 1976 and then 1980 he's the the VP and uh, I still believe to this day that uh, the plan all along was to get Bush in the office and uh, that was a deliberate attempt to assassinate Reagan so they could get Bush in there earlier but Reagan didn't die they had to wait yeah he was very fortunate because one, they didn't want to use bullets that could be done with ballistics. That's why he shot with 22s. But there's a little problem with using 22s, especially if you're using any kind of a silencer. And yep. that's... You, the bullets aren't going to go in very far. And if they do, they're probably not going to hit anything vital. They get in there and kind of tumble. Um, right. I, um, so instead of getting Bush in there as quickly as they wanted to, they had to wait another seven years. Right. Which was, you know, and then he comes in and announces this thousand points of light speech. Um, I would like to have seen Ross Perdue. Perdue was it uh, Ross Perdue? Perot, excuse me, not Perdue Chicken. Uh, Ross Perot. Um, become president I really like that guy I think he was the most sincere guy we've had up until Trump and uh, I don't think he would have made the stupid mistakes Trump made uh, and this was a guy that spent his own money to send Colonel Bo Greitz into NAM to try to look around for some POWs when we were leaving them behind mm -hmm. I like that guy smart guy 
Um, I don't feel that way about any of the candidates now. And I mean, come on, you see, Bush ran in 92, but he ran a very lackluster campaign. Right. Even Barbara Bush admitted it, that she thought her husband ran a terrible campaign. He didn't even look, you know, like he had any energy. I just remember him riding a train and waving at people. And, um, yeah. You know, of course, um, some believe he was also in Dallas. And there's a picture, apparently, with him on a walk. I have a picture on my website. Right? During the week that JFK was killed. And I do believe that uh, he had a part in the assassination of JFK. That's why he got to be president. That's why Ford got to be president. They both had parts in the JFK assassination. Ford on the Warren Commission. He was on the Warren Commission. Okay. And who headed up the Warren Commission other than... Alan Dulles. Yeah, for all intents and purposes. And Alan Dulles had been fired by JFK. And Alan Dulles is the uh, continuity um, between the war and bringing in all the Nazis, cutting those deals. Yeah, we've talked about that on previous programs. I wouldn't like to have been able to sit down and have that conversation with Bush Sr. and he would have spilt the beans and told us the things that were never told publicly, the stories he had to have told. I mean, he had to have worked with uh, Dulles himself. I mean, I was thinking, if he was like my grandfather, he might not tell the whole world, but I'd go up and say, hey, granddad, uh, tell me about how the Nazis got in. You know this guy went to the grave with secrets. Did he tell Bush Mm -hmm. Jr.? I'm sure he did tell a lot of those secrets to him because he carried most of it forward. You have to realize, when Bush lost 92, it was an intentional loss because guess where all the drugs were coming in that Bush was running into this country? They were going into Mena, Arkansas. I can guarantee you that Bill Clinton knew all about it and wanted something in exchange for keeping his mouth shut big time Uh, no question about that Um, and of course you can take Bush back to um, Vietnam War they were smuggling dope out of the Golden Triangle with uh, Colonel Armitage who was fingered him and Bush Sr. Poppy Bush by I think uh, the general over there General Kaesong who was interviewed by Bo Greitz, got him on camera, and he said that was our source. And um, what was interesting was Bush Jr. came in, the Assistant Secretary of State was none other than Richard Armitage. Mm -hmm. And I said, ooh, look at that. Still, 20, 30 years after the war, these still guys were still connected. But, you know, I mean... Why do you think they were in Afghanistan? Opium, right? And oil. You better believe it. Of course. And now, because they've come up with synthetic opium, they didn't need Afghanistan anymore, so they're left. Well, of course, Prescott Bush, Brown Brothers Herman, they financed Adolf Hitler during World War II. I mean, yeah, we know, just talked about that. That goes way back, uh, but bring it to current. Uh, since our last program last week, by the way, last week's program has got the most downloads of any show we've done on the new platform 
Um, people love it. Wow. And I just want to say uh, people love you and also Major Tom. And so uh, we've got a big audience tuning in when you come on. But We're so going to have him, try to have him on until he gets better. He'll be on once a month. And so since our last week program, of course, the news is, um, and I believe it was U.S. and NATO and Ukraine blow up the dam over there. <laughs> and I'm thinking about Who else would? The Russians wouldn't. It came to me today. Okay, so we blow up World Trade Center. We blow up the Nord Stream Pipeline with the Norwegian help recently. And now we're blowing up a dam. What the heck's going on with America? we got to blow everything up. I mean, I hate to say this about my own government, but um, they're lying. Well, there's a good reason that they blew up that dam. They knew that the Russians were going to come through, and if they didn't blow that dam, they were going to lose just about everything. They had to do something to slow the Russians down. But yet, they want to always lie and say, well, the Russians did it. Uh, Of course they do. Trump we've did been it. doing that we've been doing that from day one we've look been what, doing that and it hasn't stopped look at all the lies that they've told about Trump with Russia gate okay now yes he has blood on his hands for operation warp speed I don't deny that but most everything they accused him of they did themselves mm-hmm. bunch of liars up there and you know Hillary Clinton's not going to jail for 33,000 emails and bleach bit I heard Obama has uh, a ton of classified material Um, oh they all do everybody and by the way I found out with Trump's classified material he declassified it before he left and the way they're trying to catch him is they're saying well Biden reclassified it which he can't do you know and here we are in the month of Pride Month. It came to me today. Doesn't the word say, God resists a proud, he gives? Yes, he does. He resists a proud, and uh, what's he do to the humble? Haughty art. Right. He gives grace to the humble. Uh, pride goeth before the fall, we know that. Uh, and here we are, not only are we declaring Pride Month, but pride for, prideful for what? Uh, raping men up the butt? So, sodomy? homosexuality, um, sins that will cause you to go to hell if you don't repent of. And we're saying uh, we're proud that America allows sodomites to rule and reign. This is sick. We're in trouble. And um, I don't... Back to Russia here for a moment. Uh, Somebody is saying there, I don't know if it's one of the generals or the Secretary of Defense over there, that Russia is probably going to drop a nuke on the border of Russia and Ukraine. They're going to have to. I doubt to, it. I doubt it. Because of the um, the troops that are encroaching. I mean, you know, they're they're sending drones in there. What happens when those F-16s go airborne? They could drop a nuke right over there on... I don't think the F-16s Moscow. last 10 minutes after they get there. The Russians just come in there and blow them all up. It's just a publicity stunt. I don't think those F-16s ever get there. What's it because? Gonna... Because I don't think there's a chance that Ukraine survives the summer. Is Russia, like one guy said, just uh, bleeding Ukraine to death? If they... Well, that's 
actually what they're doing is they're one they want the eastern part of the country because there's a lot of manufacturing there they want the black sea resorts they're willing they've already said that they're willing to let hungary have the hungarian speaking part of the state and they've also made indications they're willing to give Poland the Polish speaking part of the country and that, that'll leave just a little rump state which really nobody wants that's where it's going um, the no, only thing that's up in the air is who's going to get that rump state how far are we going to push Russia before they they cut us off of the legs they already have they're just waiting for it to to manifest. They've done that because one, they're going in with bricks, taking out everything in Africa and sending all their all their raw materials east rather than west. They're going into South America doing the same thing. And they're isolating the West. They don't have to shoot one shot. Remember the communists told us a long time ago that they would never have to invade the United States, that the United States would destroy itself from inside. Why hasn't China cut off the tap? If I was China, I wouldn't export another thing to America. Because they make too much money. And it's the one thing that's keeping China from collapsing. But what are they getting paid in, if not dollars, which are worthless? Well, that's just it. That's the only reason they have it is because they are making some money off of it. How do you spend dollars, though? Well, what they do is they convert them into other currencies. Okay. I know that it's easy to do in these days. I know that over time they bought up a lot of land too. But uh, if we go to war with them, then they would be evicted from their property. So I don't know. That's the well, hardest thing to do. That's one of the things, too. We know we there's Chinese troops all over the place in the United States. We know that because of all the research of Al Covet. Right. And so, really, they have no reason to invade. They're, they're as smart as the Russians. They know that the best thing to do is let this thing fall apart from inside. And they'll come in and clean it up afterwards. Good grief. Well, we're doing a good job of allowing things to just fall apart at the seams. How much more whacked can it get right now? Um, did you hear about Newsom? He wants to do the gun grab amendment to the Constitution and outlaw what he calls... It'll never amendment. get... It'll never pass. I sure hope not. It'll never pass because the courts won't take won't do it Any and getting an amendment to the constitution is never going to get through 37 states any prediction on uh, J, uh, RFK you know there's a lot of things I like about RFK but I still worry about his family family meaning their, their uh, one, of those, connection? one of the 13 Illuminati bloodlines mm, true that's the only thing that's bugging me right now. Otherwise, I'm very inclined to like what he's saying. 
I do like the fact that he knows what time it is with vaccines. Uh, sadly, though, somebody told me he was pro-abortion, which uh, is, I had heard that too, but I I don't know. I, I don't think it, he's but. that pro-abortion because he's never spoke out publicly on it. He's it's not just it's not something that when you go in and you and do a campaign and talk about abortion you're already taking 50% away. So best thing to do is just not talk about it. If Trump can survive this indictment and doesn't go to jail. He will. If I were him. It's a joke. I would go and have a meeting with JFK and I would say you keep running because uh, running as a Democrat you're certainly going to weaken Biden. But uh, know this, if I win, I'm going to bring you in and, and make you uh, a director of the FDA uh, or CDC. Uh, but I would cut a deal with DeSantis and get him to rally behind me, and I would put him in there as the VP. Uh, but these guys are very proud, especially Trump. And uh, I think he, Trump-DeSantis could be a winning combination. A lot of people like DeSantis. But then there's some that say, you know, he's uh, in line with Jeb Bush. So, Well, his first ad, Jeb Bush endorsed him. Okay. And already Hillary Clinton has gone on record endorsing him. Endorsing DeSantis? Yes. What that, What is she doing? What's that mean? <laughs> I mean well, basically, number one, Hillary isn't doing anything. We've looked at pictures of Hillary now, and or allegedly Hillary, and gee, they're all different sizes. Because Bill Clinton's, I think, six four, and and Hillary came up to his armpit. Well, some of these pictures of the women suddenly she either shrinks or she grows. Well, so that's telling you doubles. She doesn't. She's probably got one foot in the grave, just like uh, Bill. You well, know, that's just it. You don't see Bill around too much anymore. I mean, they in that they look sickly. You know, they look like they're about ready to croak any any day. Um, they don't have the money to buy their adrenochrome. You ever notice something with some of these politicians and even some of these actors that aren't living for Christ? Their tongues get very red, and they're licking their lips all the time like they're thirsty. Hang on. <laughs> Let's just get cut off. Tom, you there? Stand by. Okay, did my Skype drop out? Do I still have Skype? Yep, we still have Skype. Tom, hang on. Okay, Tom, his internet went out. Did you ever look at some of these people, though, folks? Their tongues get very bright red. They're licking their lips. I'm like, take a drink of water. I think they've already got one foot in hell where there is no water. They're already thirsty, and they don't know they're about to go into a place where there'll never be any water again. Well, we lost Major Tom, uh, Professor Tom. Let's see if I can get him back on. 
Um, I like uh, go, uh, go, uh, let's see, Tulsi Gabbard, is that her name? Tulsi Gabbard, the lady, very smart lady, former Democrat, I think she's independent now. I like her. I don't know why someone doesn't hire her to be the VP. I think the dream cabinet, though, would be Trump in there, Tulsi Gabbard, DeSantis, JFK, and uh, spread them out. But yet, but yet they all have imperfections, don't they? And sadly, Trump has never repented of Operation Warp Speed. I can't let that one go. Very sad. I don't know. We're in trouble. Looking for a man or a woman to save us. A little too late. Uh, a day late, dollar short, as they say. And that's if you could get a fair election. I'm not convinced that we'll ever have a fair election. Because I believe the last one was thrown. No question about it. Why would they play fair now? It's going to take something else to derail the communist in power. I'm talking like the judgment of God. God himself can do it. He can stop it. But is it going to stop on its own? Are we going to be able to correct it at the ballot box? We can try, but I'm not holding out hope that it's going to happen. I just think the system is that corrupt. And with that backdoor software, are you kidding me? Of course, it can be manipulated. And I think I know who did it, but you don't want to mention their names because they'll sue you for a billion dollars. Well, folks, that may be it uh, for the program tonight. Tom is offline, and um, he probably needs to go pretty soon anyway. Um, but we got in the programs. I hope you enjoyed them today. I hope you've enjoyed them all week. Did you like them? Give me a little bit of time. We're going to build this thing back up, build back better. Kind of a bad phrase to use, but I mean it. Biden doesn't. Be sure and check out Omega Man Reloaded. I'm putting up two programs there every day, Monday through Friday. I'll probably put some up on the weekend, too. Why not? At any rate, um, two shows a day, remastered. I hope you enjoy them. We've got some great stuff that we've done over 12, 12 almost 13 years. 10,000 shows. We're releasing them all, two at a time, <laughs> while doing new stuff going forward. And then i got to start working on the back, going backward a little bit. Um, help yourself. They're all on Podbean. That's the only place to get these, and I can guarantee you'll be able to get them. And go to OmegaManRadio.com for those links. Help yourself to them. Uh, they're all free. Please share them with a friend. We need to get more people to know about the program. I did leave some um, directions on how to find us up on Blog Talk and SoundCloud and Facebook. But uh, we're only at about 100 subscribers so far. That means you're getting notifications that we've got a posting. So i got to do a better job than that. Need your help to do it. Uh, I'd like to see 1,000 subscribers. Why shouldn't we be able to do that, really? Um, but it's harder than you think. And um, we lost some territory 
with being deplatformed, so we've got to build it back from scratch. But I do have the archive, so if we can just get people to find their way here, I know you're going to like the content going forward. I hope you will. Check out our Substack channel. And I want to thank those out there that uh, help us any way you can. Prayer, putting our schedule out, sharing a show with a friend, and of course, those that are able to financially support in any amount, it helps helps us make it day to day. Father God, in Jesus' name, bless everybody who's come out here. Guide and direct us all, Father God. Show us where you want us to be so we can make our stand and we will keep going. Even die with our boots on if that's what it takes till you return to take us. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, love you all. Thank you for tuning in today. And uh, I'll go ahead and work on getting these shows up before I hit the sack. Uh, I still have an applicable made it to my new schedule. I'm going to bed usually about 7 a.m., sometimes earlier, but um, it'll work out. I am loving the um, the time period though that we're doing, so I think we're on the right track. God bless you all. We'll see you next time. God bless. <laughs>